I want to thank you for being here and today and uh, <clears throat> for enduring the sermon series on the book of Romans. I mean, I know you think we've been in it for a long time, and how in the world can a preacher take a book like that and, and preach from it? Well, for me, it was an assignment from the Lord. It was one of those things the Lord laid on my heart. Uh, and uh, if you think it's been easy, then that's, it's, not, it's not been easy. It's not, maybe not been easy for you, but not been easy for me either. Uh, we have one more chapter. We're going to look at chapter 15 in a moment. But I think in some of those uh, moments that we've been in the book of Romans, they've been divine appointments. I know they have for me. I've learned some things. The Lord has spoken to my heart. But particularly this message, as I came to chapter 15 and I looked at it, and I looked a little ahead and I thought, well, there might be a sermon in every other chapter of Romans, but there's not one in chapter 15, Lord. I've just got to let you know. But uh, there's going to be one, and I think as you see on the screen, the title of it is As Christ Has Welcomed You. So here we, we assume then that if that's the title, that, that Jesus Christ himself welcomes every person who is here today. Would you say that? So if we say that, then should you and I put stipulations on who can or can't come to church? Should we say to people if they come, well, you can't come to church because this is your sin or that's your sin. Wouldn't we then be like the Pharisees whose major criticism of Jesus was he receives sinners? So we begin with a common assumption that on which we'll build the rest of the message, and that is uh, that Christ welcomes me and he welcomes you. And you're going to see this in Scripture. That's not just my sermon title. That's what the Bible says. That's the beginning and the ending of the message today. So if the title then suggests that, that he welcomes me, then I also have a responsibility to welcome you, and you welcome me as Christ welcomes me. So point number one of the message is going to precede the scripture before we read it. It's a couple of questions that are important, and that is first this. If you knew me the way Christ knows me, would you welcome me? If I knew you the way Christ knows you, would I welcome you? The way we answer them represents perhaps our own understanding of our relationship with God, maybe even the measure of our own relationship with God. I think it would be right to say that you would not want me to know the Christ that knows you, and I would not want you to know uh, want you to know me the way Christ knows me. I say that on my part with some measure of shame, and I'm sure you have your own measure of shame. So we are ashamed of ourselves, and largely we come to church if we're honest. Uh, sort of afraid to be known by our brothers and sisters in Christ because of that shame and fearing that it would bring to us even more. And not saying anything else, we're going to look at the first four verses of Romans chapter 14 before much later in the sermon, although it's not going to take that long really, we're going to move to chapter 15. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, uh, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God 
has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld because the Lord is able to make him stand. So you see here that Paul is saying, in the church, we have people who are at various stages of spiritual maturity. Some are stronger, some are weaker. Whatever background, whatever our present spiritual condition, we are to model Christ by welcoming our brother. We also see that it clearly says of our brother or sister that each of them has already received a welcome from God. Now, the word welcome in chapter 14 and verse 3 means more than what we were doing here earlier, reaching out our hand and shaking somebody else's hand and saying to them that we're glad to see them. In fact, this word means to accept them. It means to have a predisposition to open our arms and so receive them. One translation reads, and is probably the most literal of the translations, it reads, God has welcomed him in. It reads, God has taken him in. God has taken him to himself. So, so since this is about one person who eats one thing and another person who eats another thing, another translation reads, God has invited him to his table. So this kind of welcome is the welcome that says, sit with me on my pew. Come and fellowship with me. Come into my home and sit at my table. So the second thing, the second point of the message is simply this. God has welcomed you and your shame, and he has welcomed me and my shame. This is a fact. We haven't read it yet in Scripture, but we're going to read it in just a minute. And I think it was, is going to surprise you. He welcomes me, knowing all about me, and he welcomes you, listen, knowing even your deepest, darkest secret. In 1759, a man named Joseph Hart wrote a poem reflecting his own return to God. There were a number of years in his spiritual journey where he testified that he drifted from God. Uh, and, and he drifted from the faith. And by his own confession, he's, he said, I became a loose backslider, an audacious apostate, and a bold-faced rebel. And of course, in his meandering spiritual journey, a lot of it away from God, he picked up his own baggage of shame. But it's in 1757, at the age of 45, he experienced a spiritual awakening after attending a service at a Moravian chapel in London. Now, Moravians, you don't know anything about Moravians, but the Moravians had a tremendous impact on the world of their day. The Moravians, this little Moravian congregation in Hernhut, Germany, had been through a spiritual awakening and revival broke out. And they established a 24-hour prayer meeting that lasted for a hundred years. They impacted men like George Whitfield, John and Charles Wesley. The Wesleys, of course, were the founders of the Methodist Church. There would be no Methodist Church here today had it not been for the Moravians. The Moravians in their chapel service impacted the life of Joseph Hart. And he came back to God, and in 1759, he wrote this song. 
It's just one of many, or this poem. It reads, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. So he says, I will rise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. On what basis can Jesus Christ welcome me in my sin and shame? Well, to answer that, I want you to turn to the 15th chapter of Romans. Remember, the key word is welcome. It's in the 14th chapter of Romans. You're going to find it in the 15th chapter of Romans, beginning to read in verse 1. But before we get there, I want to remind you of the basis of Romans itself. You'll remember earlier in the chapters, Paul drives home one key point, and that is we're all sinners. He takes the first three chapters and says, everybody's a sinner. As a matter of fact, in Romans 3.23, this is his conclusion. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when we come to God, whoever we are, we come as sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. The ground around the cross is level ground. Nobody stands any higher or lower at the cross of Jesus, no matter where we've been or what we've done. And so perhaps, though, you feel that God will not accept you because of some shame that you carry. Uh, so this morning I'm addressing those people maybe who come here this morning with some sense of shame. You know shame, but you don't know what to do with it. You know, I believe that's one of the problems in our world today. There are all these people in our world that, that are trying to find an identity. That's what they call it. They're trying to find someone that they can identify with. And so they have this sense of shame. And so they find somebody who shares a similar sense of shame and they identify with that group of people because in that group of people, what do they find? Welcome. Isn't it true? Community. These people have the same sense of shame that I have and they give me welcome and they give me community, but they can find no relief from their shame. They find no relief from it. One of the saddest stories in the Bible to me is the story of a young woman named Tamar. Tamar was the daughter of King David. She was a real life princess. Every little girl in here is a princess. All of you, all of you are princesses. And so what is a princess looking for? A princess is looking for Prince Charming. I told Doug this morning in the early service that every morning when the little girls come and we check them in, I take, your, take their temperature, I always tell them they're a princess. And sometimes I ask them, I say, were you born a princess or did you just wake up a princess this morning? 
And you know what their answer is? Oh, I was born a princess. Three-year-old girls, all born princesses. They're special to God. God has a special plan for their life. And here is Tamar who woke up every morning of her life a real-life princess. But a tragedy happened in her life. Her brother assaulted her, violated her, and then hated her afterwards. You know what her word was to him? In, in, uh, I believe it's in 2 Samuel 13, verse 13. She said to him, Where can I carry my shame? Whither, whither, shall, whither shall I take my shame? What shall I do with it? How can I handle it? Now look now at the 15th chapter of the book of Romans. Verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written. Now what's happening here is Paul is about to do what he's done all through the book of Romans. He's about to quote an Old Testament passage of Scripture. It's in verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. That's a messianic psalm. He puts those words in the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. You don't know what it means yet, but you will. We'll put it together. So Paul says, that verse and others like it, whatever was written in former days, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Hope's in verse 3. The whole hope he's talking about is in verse 3. And so he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Do it for the glory of God. Someone walks in your congregation and they're a sinner. Receive them with open arms the way Christ would receive them for the glory of God. They may not find welcome somewhere else. They should find welcome among you. Now, the question we asked earlier, we need to ask it and put it on the screen. On what basis can God welcome me and on base, what basis can he welcome you? Well, uh, we are to welcome each other on the basis that Christ bore our sin and our shame on the cross. Not just our sin, but our shame on the cross. Got any shame in your life? We started out talking about it. Got any shame that you would like us to put on the screen so that we could all see it? No, that's not the way we want to be treated. And that's not the way God treats us. In 2009 personal story, we discovered that our youngest daughter was pregnant and unmarried. She tried to hide it from us. 
She tried to hide it from us because she was embarrassed and ashamed. And when we found out, we were certainly hurt as any parent would be. But she found love and acceptance in her daddy's home, just like Tamar found love and acceptance in David's home. And the Bible says that Tamar lived in her daddy's home the rest of her life. But she lived as an outcast. She was no longer a princess. So what do daddies do with little girls who are broken and have brokenness in their life? Well, my little girl at that point in time was in her 20s, early 20s, and she didn't want to go back to church. She didn't want to go back to church because she was ashamed. She was embarrassed. And she didn't go back to church for some months. But later she decided to come back. And I'll never forget the Sunday she walked in. We sat where we normally sat, somewhere up close to the front. There's a large sanctuary, much larger than this one. She came in from the back. I, stood, I saw her come in. I stood up and I waited for her to walk down the aisle. Everybody looking at her, I knew what they were thinking. You know what I wanted to do? You think I said, I wish she'd go out the door. She's embarrassing me. No. I wanted to cover her. I wanted to hide her. I wanted to take her shame on myself. I didn't want her to bear that. I wanted to bear it far. And I think I learned more about the love of God for sinners and for broken people in that moment than I had ever learned in all of my life. I was broken for her because I loved her. Now we look at this passage of Scripture in verse 3. Romans 15, verse 3. Do you know that this word reproach in verse 3, the Hebrew word reproach, doesn't matter to you, but it's important, is exactly the same word that Tamar uses when she raises the question in 2 Samuel 13, 13, when she says, where in the world am I going to carry my shame? What in the world am I going to do with my shame? There was not an answer for it, not then. But there's an answer for it on the cross because the exact same word, and it's translated in the Wycliffe Bible, the shames of men saying shames to thee fell upon me. You see, Jesus not only bore your sin on the cross, he bore the shame of your sin on the cross. Whither shall I carry my shame? What will you do with it? We bring it to the foot of the cross because Jesus died for your shame. He carried your shame on the cross. I, I remember standing there that day to welcome my daughter, but there was someone else standing there with me to welcome her with open arms, arms that had been nailed to the cross, and, and he grants you that same kind of welcome. Is there someone here this morning who needs such a welcome from God but fears it won't be given? Jesus stands here to welcome you, to cover you, to forgive you, to cleanse you, to heal you, to save you. Welcome sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power, written by a man who had been there and done that and had his own bag of shame. Finally, 
Paul says here in verse 7, I am to welcome others as Christ has welcomed me. Now we began the sermon with a couple of questions. If you knew me the way Christ knows me, would you welcome me? If I knew you the way Christ knows you, would I welcome you? You know what Paul says? He says, let me pick up in verse 5. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The church is the church is never more the church, never more of the kind of people that God wants us to be than when people come to us broken and we reach out our arms and say, I welcome you, I love you, Christ loves you, and I give you the love of Christ, I share the love of Christ with you. And Paul says in such a moment, God receives such glory because we reflect something that Christ has done for us that he wants to give to others. The witness of the church is never stronger than when the church receives sinners, welcomes sinners with their sin and their shame, and reflects that same welcome that the Lord Jesus has given me in my shame and you in yours. Where can we carry our shame? To the foot of the cross, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. Let's pray.